Welcome to She's Great, a podcast where we tell each other about great women who have done great things. I'm Meredith Kaufman. And I'm Natalie Moore. Thanks for joining us. It's going to be great. We're going to talk about comedy today and women in comedy. Right. There's a lot of great women in comedy. And in fact, when we first started talking about this, we um, could... We, we talked about how we could have like five podcasts about um, comedians, women. I know. And maybe comedians. we still should. But yeah, we'll, there's so many. Our, I know. This will be our intro to women in comedy because it's there's so many. First of all, I want to talk about the actual comics themselves and yeah. their, you know, how great they are and what they did individually. Uh, but then also sort of like the idea of women in comedy has right. this whole other aspect to it and the stereotype that you know a beautiful woman can't be funny mm-hmm. and that you know funny women are intimidating or dangerous mm-hmm. and how that affects both men and women yeah you know well I mean, and you found that great article um written by rebecca traster in the new republic it was written in 2014 it was actually um uh, uh, like a, a little review of um, amy poehler's book yes please when it came out Yes, um, yes. And because it's uh, Rebecca Traster, who's a terrific uh, journalist, um, she wrote, she put it in the context of female comedians, the history of female comedians, and um, where they've come from and where they um, have, had gotten to at the point that Amy Poehler's book came out. Um, you know, she kind of identified it as this little micro genre of these um, female comedians who want to share um, stories of their own setbacks and self-doubts at, while simultaneously um, lifting up the other women who might be reading the book and inspiring them to move forward and, as Amy Poehler says, take up space. Which I think is in and of itself is sort of a feminist idea, you know, right. that women yeah. rise together instead of feeling mm-hmm. like we're against each other. Yep. And so often I think when you look at the comedy from the past, which she talks about, it's like it's me or her, you know, uh-huh. and this sort of evolution that's hap- happened in comedy and I think helped women in comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, when you look at like Tina Fey and Amy Poehler, mm-hmm. um, they weren't against each other. They helped each other. Mm-hmm. They rose together. Um, it's just interesting that then that also kind of bled into their own personal writing. And I mean, I guess it's just a value, you mm-hmm. know, that, that women would help other women to like it there's enough room for all of us right you know? and there's enough room for our goofiness and and our quirkiness and it's not a threat it's something that we can share and help each other right and how insane that it was ever considered threatening because it is what it, it is our life force it's right. what we are right. we're funny but- humans are funny we have senses of humor and Women do, too, and always have and always will because we're human. But don't you think, I mean, there's a reason why they were threatened, you know, because there there was only so many. Does it start with a P and rhyme with (laughs) flakearchy? I think there's a shampoo for that. Um, <laughs> flakyarchy. Yeah, the patriarchy. And like that even women, you know, are threatened by other women. Like yeah. if, if you were, you know, are you being, are you flirting with my husband? Mm-hmm. Are you, you know, I, I don't know. Like, right. Are you better? Yeah, right. Exactly. There's, I have a great quote from that article. Um, she says, um, for years, viciousness was the key 
to survival for women and comedy. Be hard on women, including yourselves, lest you be mistaken for one. Yes, yes. And then you look at like, you know, Joan Rivers and Phyllis yep. Diller, who she brings mm-hmm, up. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And and especially, which we want to talk about too, um, Mobs Mabley, who I knew mm-hmm. nothing about. Mm-hmm. Um, right, I learned about her in not, this article. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then we watched this great documentary that Whoopi mm-hmm. Goldberg made. How many years ago did Whoopi Goldberg make that documentary? I think it was 2013. I mean, it was long ago enough that Bill Cosby could be in it. And you <laughs> right, right, which is hard <laughs> to watch. It, yeah, I was 2013. Just like, uh, mm-hmm. Uh. Mm-hmm. But it was otherwise, aside from the Bill Cosby cameos, it was amazing. Because mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. she was this huge star of the Chitlin circuit. And from vaudeville until the like late 70s, she did this character, Mobs Mabley. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Jackie Mobs Mabley? That was yeah. her sort of stage name, right? Her that stage was her... name, yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought, and she just had this incredible career, but she played this same character for all of these decades. She sort of stayed in that mm-hmm. role. Yeah, for and, five and decades. For five <laughs> decades. <laughs> yeah. And she was the first woman to perform at the Apollo, first comedian to perform at, female comedian to form at, perform at the Apollo. Mm-hmm. And then she also performed at Carnegie Hall. Mm-hmm. But her comedy, I feel like because she had this mother role, Mm -hmm. this mother character, she could kind of dig at people, but there was a love there. Mm -hmm. She didn't have to rip people down. And she was so sort of alpha, like so powerful that the men of that era sort of just took her in as like another man, kind of. Like she wasn't seen as, well, she wasn't seen as sexual because I think she pretty much was openly gay, but Mm -hmm. didn't I? necessarily identify or label herself in that way but everybody knew it who right with her. right well and I mean that's that's what Joan Rivers actually talked about in that movie because that's another great thing Whoopi Goldberg did such a great job putting that um, piece together because she interviews tons of people about Moms Mabley um, and Joan Rivers said that you know people don't want to hear the truth and if they are it has to come from a homely lady that is no competition right. that she you know she's harmless she's not a threat and that that's how the truth can be delivered particularly in that time well, and I think that's true even for men. I mean, if you look back at comedy, you know, the jester, you know, the uh-huh. clown, the fool. There is some about like there is something that is regardless of gender that's a, yeah, the fool to be demeaned, to already mm-hmm. be so low that then you can call out the king. Mm-hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. but then there's this gender aspect yeah. that happens for women that in so many ways for so many decades, yeah. yes, people knew they were wildly hilarious, but they still don't get the same career as men. So even though they're demeaning and doing the, you know, the fool act, mm-hmm. there's a limit to how far you know, one comedian, you know, there's one Lucille Ball, you know, there was one Moms Mabley, but that in the sea of male comics, it was mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. a huge contrast. Right, right. And she also appealed to, um, you know, across the board, uh, every class, every ethnicity. Um, I mean, she started in like 25. 
five, I guess. Um, yeah, she was born in the eight, late 1890s. Yeah, yeah, in North Carolina. And um, Jerry Stiller is uh, interviewed t- talking about how he saw her, uh, went to the Apollo during the Depression um, because, you know, and everybody needed to get out of reality. And so that's when 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 she was doing her thing and it was mostly vaudeville because when she was a kid she used to go hang out with this this couple um who were on the vaudeville circuit butterbean and Susie, i guess yeah and, yeah um, yeah yeah and they just took her in and you know taught her stage presence and saw that she had a gift and they're the ones who took her to new york in the first place and got her started and then she just started touring in the uh the chitlin circuit um for for decades until she finally um, was booked on um, Smothers Brothers and, you know, mainstream America television. White America started to recognize her. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. But she had had been beloved um, for a long time before she busted into mainstream white American television. Right. Right. I mean, it seems like a lot of these earlier... You know, Joan Rivers, Phyllis Diller, and um, a, a comic I want to talk about later, Elaine May. Mm-hmm. A lot of them had that vaudeville, mm-hmm. those vaudeville beginnings. Yeah, um, right. Yeah, she used to play with, um, she would be on, on the, the ticket with Louis Armstrong and Cab Calloway. Oh, my God. That was amazing to <laughs> right. me. I know. What and a show. She wrote a play with Zora Neale Hurston. Yeah. Like, it was like, what? Like, mm-hmm. she was definitely a huge star, you right. know. And I was kind of. Like, again, there's this happens so often with with women in our culture. Like, oh, why didn't I know about her? How come I didn't hear about her? You know, mm-hmm. I sh- there's sh- yeah, I know. I mean, I, I kept thinking of our conversation about Shirley Chisholm. Like, oh, boy, we just have so much to catch up with. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of people who who've contributed to our world that we just don't know about. And her comedy was so um you know, it, she had an ability to be in people's face, but it wasn't, um, it, how do I say it? Like, it didn't put turn people off. Right. Like, there was, and I feel like maybe that had to do with that sort of the mom. Mm-hmm. She was the mom. She was, everybody could relate. You know, even Bart and I watching it were like, there was some bit she was doing. We're like, oh my gosh, she reminds us of Betta as mm-hmm. my husband's 97-year-old grandmother. Mm-hmm. Like, there was just a, something universal about her character. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Or they, they describe, um, she used to do Sing Sing prison every year. Oh, my God. Yeah, that was incredible. Well, she, she, she sort of puts down the warden, but in a way that, you know, she's like, oh, you should go home and laugh yourself to death. Right, listen my to record. my album. Yeah. <laughs> Laugh, yourself, laugh to yourself to death. And you can just hear the prisoners like uproariously laughing because she's basically telling them to go home and die. Yeah. But in a very nice way. Yeah. Right. Because <laughs> she's moms and she's not going to, yeah. you know, upset anybody. And then also inserting herself into historical um, politics. Like, you know, one of yeah. her album covers is she's sitting in between Castro and Khrushchev. <laughs> <laughs> like moms is going to go in there and fix it. And and that's her character. And she, she you believe that she does or she like goes in there and talks about going into the oval office and talking to lyndon johnson and you just you better get that signed or that martin luther's gonna march up on your butt 
Yeah, yeah. And then, but the great part was Whoopi was saying, like, as a kid, she totally believed that she had these conversations. And then she also realized, like, she could have. Because yeah. pres- she did meet presidents. She did go to the Oval she Office. Did she did know, know John Kennedy. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And that kind of power that she had, even though she was in this, you know, role as this, like, toothless you know, homely old lady. Uh-huh, right, with the who mismatched dressed crazy, mm-hmm. yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> well, and to go back to the Rebecca Traster, like, so so moms fits mm. into that sort of, you have to, you know, dress crazy and look uh, unthreatening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Phyllis Diller did that. And Joan Rivers, to a certain extent, was, was that way, too. Um, and it clearly, like, you know, you got to wonder, did that have some sort of psychological effect because then later she became so you know she was on the red carpet sort of ripping every woman apart and all the plastic surgery and I mean I don't want to I don't know but right it's just kind of interesting um yeah but but then to go to sort of these newer comics when you talk about like Amy Poehler and Tina Fey and um Sarah Silverman and but Mm -hmm. we were they're they're themselves you know Mm -hmm. they're they're goofy selves trying to lift up other women and and it's not as uh, I don't know, demeaning right. in a way to their well, and 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 it, it's so refreshing to just allow looks to be just marginalized in terms of the like it has nothing to do with their performance and what comes out of their mind and their creativity and their timing and their skills and the you know the the packaging is so irrelevant. Yeah. Um and and it's so frustrating that that women are continually. You, you know, you're sort of like looks are always on the table for discussion. Yeah. With I women. Mean, and that's just this, not even relevant are. for men. Yeah. And I mean, and they still are. I mean, that's. They always will. It always will. All, I mean, yeah. well, hopefully not always, but like, yeah, it's still yeah. definitely. I mean, I even think about like, you know, the comedians I watched growing up in the 80s and 90s on Saturday Night Live, like Jan Hooks and Nora Dunn. Mm-hmm. Um, those women, like they had to look a certain way and Mm. be, and they were just as funny as the men on the shows. And then the men, you know, would go on to have like these unbelievable careers, these film careers, Mm -hmm. um, Eddie Murphy or Will Ferrell, or, I mean, Mm -hmm. I had some resentment for Jimmy, towards Jimmy Fallon when he got the late show. Cause I was like, well, he was sort of funny. Like he really wasn't the best one on the show. There were so many funnier women. And, and he came up with Amy and Tina who totally broke through finally that glass Mm -hmm. ceiling of, for women. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's always been an insane double standard in comedy. That's just like, so like, it's just so obvious. Right. Do we want to play any of the mom's clips? Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes, yes, yes. Mom's red light. Yeah, one or mom's. Should we listen to that? Let's listen should to I that. I'm on my way down to Miami. I mean, they Miami. <laughs> they Miami. That was amazing. <laughs> I'm along in my Cadillac, you know, going to one of the towns in South Carolina. Passed to a red light. One of them big cops come running over to me and say, Hey, woman, don't you know you went to a red light? I say, Yeah, I know I went to a red light. He said, well, What did you do that for? I said, Because I seen all you white folks going on the green light. I thought the red light was for us. I 
so good. I mean. <laughs> I know. I love the Ammy. <laughs> the Ammy. <laughs> I know. I mean, if only I could have just like been in one of those shows just to feel the audience scream, laugh, and roll on the floor. I love the description of the people at the Apollo yeah. watching her, yeah. like on the ground, like weeping. Mm-hmm. Yeah, convulsing. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you want to listen to another one? Do you want to listen to Trigger? Yes. Let's listen to Trigger. Yeah, listen to Trigger. Okay, hold on. Let me bring it up. Even though South Carolina, what do they call? Do they call you Jackie down there or Moms? I've never known. It's Jackie. No. They like me down there, Delta Crew. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, they got they like me so well because they 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 name that what that man got that horse in the moon pictures that Western man. Who? Uh, Roy Rogers. Roy Rogers. They named him Roy Rogers the horse. Trigger. Trigger. <laughs> I love that yeah. she like Trigger. gives it to him. Mm-hmm. Hello, Trigger. What you say, Trigger? <laughs> At least I think that's what they. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, my God. And wasn't that like Merv Griffin or something in his face? He's just like shocked. Yeah, know? yeah. And then he, he later makes beautiful. a con, like, because she keeps going. I mean, she's still there. And then he says <laughs> something like, okay, we're going to test all the sensors tonight. <laughs> like, he's just buckling up for, for that. Aww. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you, yeah, like, when you, like, Everyone, you got to go out and watch this HBO documentary that Whoopi yes. Goldberg made, yes. so that you can yes. see her do that. Because the way she just she just controls it so well, because she's been honing that character for so long, and she knows how to relate to her audience, whether it's the you know Merv and TV or an Apollo. She just allows you to fill in the blank so real she's so real it's like a real person walks on stage like a real crazy looking lady it's not Mm -hmm. you know oftentimes even now on tv and comedy and stuff it's like it's it's so a little bit you know overplayed or like a big wink you know Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. i feel like if she walked into the room you'd be like is she like is that just a lady talking you know and that's almost what's so she was like an amazing actress right Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. She's 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 and I chameleon. Feel like, I mean, even mm-hmm. like she's yeah. Like, what's his name again? She like leaves it for mm-hmm. Merv to say mm-hmm. trigger. Like, yeah. she's just coming up with it. It's yeah. So good. Right. So right. Good. And you and just allows everybody's wheels to turn and fill in the blank. Got huge mm-hmm. trust in the audience because of her own confidence of what mm-hmm. her ability is. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Right. And she was also in a movie called Amazing Grace, which is mentioned in the documentary, which I'm really curious to see. Oh, and we do oh, also yeah. have to mention the song. Oh, my God. <gasps> Abraham, what is it? Abraham, Martin, Abraham, and, Martin and, John, and John, which is a beautiful song written after the assassinations of of uh, all of well, obviously after Abraham's, but um, yeah. <laughs> after Bobby Kennedy, I right. think was the last person of the era. I mean, it was like right Kennedy, Martin, Kennedy Luther was sixty three, then it was Martin Luther mm-hmm. King, and then it was Bobby, and then there was mm-hmm. that song. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a special, which was so weird. It was like at the Playboy, mansion? right? It's Hugh Hefner, like yeah. It is the weirdest context. <laughs> it's like the strangest. There's these gorgeous like, young people sitting around and moms. Yeah, like half clothed and like Hugh Hefner. Like it's it's 1970 and like Sammy Davis like in this like, <laughs> I don't know 
what he was wide wearing, lapel leather yeah like definitely like his shirt is open to you know like mid chest yeah 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 and everybody is very cool and there's moms right and and sammy davis who performed with her since he was four years old on that same circuit and has known her all that all his life asks her to sing that song and everyone it, it kind of like shatters this veneer of sexy sexual liberation this is our vibe and it's just this earnest um ode this this uh lament well, and, and you can feel in her rendition of this song just how much she's seen you know and yeah. how you know when she talked yeah. about martin luther king just like how much he meant to her how what he stood for and like this deep sense of like he was the future things are going to get better Mm -hmm. and you really start to I I don't know her singing it we should we got to play it you just realize because I didn't I wasn't alive at that time just Mm -hmm. how devastating Mm -hmm. how devastating Mm -hmm. those assassinations were to the hope people were feeling yep you know and the possibility that things were going to get better yeah just how crushing it was so, uh-huh. oh, play it. Let's, let's listen to it. Has anybody seen my old friend Martin Luther? Can you tell me, tell me where he's gone? You know, he freed a lot of people. But it seems a good guy I just looked around And he was gone Didn't you love The things he stood for Didn't they try To find some good got to be one day. Sammy Davis is weeping by the end of it. And, and you know, my own, the lump in my throat was just growing. I mean, I was, I was weeping crying. by the end of it. And you're just, yeah. like you said, you're just brought to this, that moment in time when our country was reeling from these assassinations. And you just feel called to honor it and maybe even fight for it. You know, I mean, she just... And the, and the way Harry Belly Fonte... her immense instrument, like her talent. Like, yeah. like she was able to be this character and be so funny, but the reason why mm-hmm. she was able to do it for five decades is because she had that kind of ta- ability mm-hmm. as a performer to right. take you anywhere. And, yeah. and, when she, and she, she could feel so deeply that you just went with her, mm-hmm. you know, and, right. and she could take you to places a lot of people maybe weren't comfortable going, yeah. you know, whether it was in comedy or in feeling, you know, just how devastating that time was. Right. And for for decades before that time, that that was in the early 70s or late 60s when when that was recorded or that particular piece was recorded. Yeah, I think it was like 1970. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I mean up until then she had been giving black Americans a, a sense of, you know, they would go to the Apollo and have this sense of liberation and, and comedians would give them the story about their experience and help them see and feel it in a way that they, they don't necessarily realize is happening on a deep, deep emotional level and then they get to laugh at it. Um, and yeah. so she provided that and she was this bridge 
to white America. I mean, Harry Belafonte is interviewed throughout the movie, and he talks about how the big struggle at the time, you know, post um, civil rights sort of revolution in the the immediate aftermath was that at the time, like America um, doesn't really understand why they're they're prejudiced and how they're prejudiced because people think yes. that they're not, and they need and to. And they see... just haven't thought about it enough. Like, right. and to this day, exactly. white America hasn't thought about it really right. enough at all, or right. at We're all. We're still doing that, <laughs> and we still need to see this dimension of black humanity. And if you get people to laugh, you might be more open to what black people are trying to say. I mean, he talked about seducing with humor and not tragedy. And so he created this TV show in 1967, which he hired moms to be on, where she played this maid to a rich black couple who didn't want to drive through Harlem and think blacks are a problem. They're sort of like self-hating in a way. But but he snuck... uh, a watermelon in like had it or shipped to him and mom's finds out do you remember that part of the movie yeah 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 <laughs> so <laughs> <wonderful>. so, yeah. <laughs> you know and Belafonte just said like you know may it never leave us our ability to laugh at our plight with dignity right. and mom's was that was all yeah that. I mean she was such a leader in it like yeah Right. Yeah. And I mean, maybe this is a good segue, actually, to my um, the person that I wanted to share with oh, okay. you. Um, her name is um, Nagin Varsad. Farsad. Sorry, Farsad. She's a, um, a comic, an American comic, um, first generation Iranian. I um, became aware of her on an NPR interview that she did with Guy Raz about humor fighting prejudice. The, the little background is that she's just a great example of a woman who like, can really shine her own particular light in a shadowy area of our culture. She became motivated after 9-11 and the Islamophobia that was sort of taking root in America. Um, And she was really motivated to flip the script. And um, she got this ability and um, or like insight to do to do such a thing because she grew up listening to her parents describe how they would entertain themselves while hiding in their basement during the bombings during the Iran-Iraq war, like playing cards and charades and just like having a great time, except they would hear a bomb fall and like hope it wasn't their neighbors. Oh my God. And then they would go back to playing games and stuff. And so she, she got this appreciation of how human beings have this capacity to get through really horrible times by flipping the script and just yeah. taking the story into their own hands. Um, so it's this great interview. Um, and um, and she uh, and this other Arab-American uh, Arab uh, created this documentary called The Muslims Are Coming. He, she and this okay. other comic, they toured... Um, the South, they went to Florida and Georgia and Mississippi and would show up in town. They booked comedy shows and they would show up in town and they would ask people like, do you have any questions about Muslims or, um, I mean, she did all this great stuff. So I think we should listen to, to the clip. To the clip. Okay. Now, the American population can be broken up into three main categories. There's mostly wonderful people, haters, and Florida. Now, (laughs) the most troubling category here are the haters. As a social justice comedian, it's my goal to convert these haters because they hate a lot of things which lead to negative outcomes like uh, racism, violence, and Ted Nugent. Um, The point is, 
we have to reckon with the haters. But there's variance within this group, and it's not efficient to go after all of them, right? So what I've done is I've created a highly scientific taxonomy of haters. I basically took all of the haters, I put them in a Petri dish like a scientist, and this is what I found. <laughs> Uh, first off, we have the trolls. They're the people who have quit their jobs so that they can post on YouTube videos all day long. Um, there's also the uh, drive-by haters. Now, these people will be at a stoplight, they'll wait for the light to turn green, and when it does, they yell, go back to your own country. But the group I'm most interested in is the swing hater. They just can't decide <laughs> because they don't have enough information. And this is the group I like to target with social justice comedy. Because, first off, it makes you laugh, right? And when you're laughing, you enter into a state of openness. And in that moment of openness, a good social justice comedian can stick in a whole bunch of information, and if they're really skilled, a rectal exam. <laughs> now, here are some ground rules for social justice comedy. Uh, first off, it's not partisan, okay? This isn't political comedy, this is about justice, and no one is against justice. Two, it's inviting and warm. It makes you feel like you're sitting inside of a burrito. Three, it's funny, but sneaky. Like, you could be hearing a real, like an interesting treatise on income inequality that's encased in a really sophisticated poop joke, <laughs> right? Yeah, so there, that's Nagin Farsad. And, um, you know, she said American people are not built to hate. If you approach people with love, you get love in return. And it's, it's, it's a fun movie to see because they... You, you get to enjoy when they succeed in bringing some people together or like a woman asks her, okay, if you're a Muslim, how come you look like you do and you're not covered? Um, oh, and she okay. answers the question and... Um, a man comes out and says, "You, you, I would have never guessed. You, you, you're dressed like an American." And she's like, "I am an American." So where were were they that they uh, were getting these questions? Like Gainesville, Florida, Tupelo, okay, Mississippi. Okay. Um, you know, and they they also had audiences that were diverse culturally, religion, um, in places that they didn't expect it. And so mm -hmm. it's it's kind of nice to see to to like share in their success. And there's also you know some some bullshit that they have to uh, to to deal with. But the, they they play this really great game with people in these town squares. They say um, they they have people guess whether a certain scripture came from the Old Testament, the New Testament, or the Quran. Oh, wow. And it's really great. Like, like there's um, a quote about, like, if a woman doesn't bleed on her wedding night, she has to be stoned to death. And, of course, everybody guesses the Quran, but it's the Old Testament. <laughs> and then there's something about Mary, who's with child, even though she hasn't lain with a man. And guess what? That's the Quran. So it's oh. it's fun. It's like it's flipping the script in, in yeah. that, that particular and way. And it's open and positive. It's not... It's not shaming. shaming. Or, exactly. Yeah. Right. It is yeah. not shaming. She's lifting people up and she just wants to shine some more love into that into that world. So I, oh, cool. I recommend I'm it. I'm going to check her out. Yeah. 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 yeah and I'll include great. the, I'll try to put the links in our notes so that people okay, can. Okay. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Go there and click and, on um, the link. Yeah. Yeah. Gloria Steinem, I have a quote from her. She said, the power to pe make people laugh is a really big power. And when you can make people laugh, not out of hostility, but out of revelation, because you make people recognize something is great. Which is a good segue to the female comic I wanted to talk about, uh, Elaine May. Yes. 
who Elaine. was part of the famous <laughs> comedy duo of the 1950s, Nichols and May. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike Nichols, I think most people know, went on to huge fame as a film director. Mm-hmm. Um, but they began, uh, he began with Elaine May. Yeah. Um, and they did improvisational comedy. Uh, Elaine was born in 1932 in California, and she um, I, she did Yiddish theater with her father. Again, it was sort of like hmm. a vaudeville background. Okay. Like Borscht Belt, her, but in California? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And I think she toured all around performing with him. And wow. he died when she was really young, like 11. And then she... Went, I think they moved maybe then to Hollywood, and she went to Hollywood High School, and she dropped out, mm. and she got married at 16, had a kid at 17. I mean, it was like wow, really stuff was crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then she wanted to go to college. I don't know you know, what went on with her personal life um, with the child or her marriages, mm-hmm. but she found out that the University of Chicago would accept people who didn't have a high school diploma. So she had like $7 in her pocket, and she hitchhiked to Chicago and wow. ended up at the University of Chicago, which is oh my where God. she met Mike Nichols. Uh-huh. And then they started uh, working with this uh, improvisational theater troupe called the Compass Players, which Paul Sills was also a part of who went on hmm. to found Second City. So it was a forerunner oh. to Second City in Chicago. Uh-huh. And they kind of like, you know, just took off. They became sort of the stars of this troupe, the two of them. Mm-hmm. Mike Nichols said of Elaine May when he first started working, when they became like a pair, you know, yeah. improvising together uh, in the Compass Players. Yeah. Uh, this is a quote from him. He said, from then on, it became mostly pleasure because of Elaine's generosity. The fact of Elaine, her presence kept me going. She was the only one who had faith in me. I loved it. We had a similar sense of humor and irony. When I was with her, I became something more than I had been before. And there's this great documentary that I watched, I think, like 15 years ago. It's American Masters, and it's called Take Two, Nichols and May. And it's fantastic. It shows a lot of their sketches. Um, A lot of it was televised in the late 50s, um, but they also had albums. They won a Grammy. They had a Broadway debut in 1960. And um, so you can listen. And a lot of comics who were influenced by them, Steve Steve Martin, Lily Tomlin, Richard Lewis, they all grew up kind of listening to them on these records. Mm. Um, Right. And they're just unbelievable. And Elaine broke a lot of the sort of the stereotype that women weren't good at live comedy because she was brilliant. I mean, just absolutely brilliant. And their sketches were based off of her ideas. She would kind of come Mm. up with the idea and then he would sort of structure the sketch, uh, Mike Nichols, which is interesting because she went on to be a playwright and screenwriter and did some film directing, um, but he went on to be the director. So they already were kind of having these two roles that was coming through in their improvisation. Mm. Um, But she also didn't, um, her characters weren't stereotypical female roles of the 1950s they were Mm. kind of they had a snob uh, and mob appeal they called it because it was kind of highbrow it was very intellectual Hmm. which I just think is so crazy because she didn't graduate high school I mean but they were like Mm -hmm. very highbrow Um, but it had a mob appeal because it was just like wildly funny Mm -hmm. but she would play sophisticated women you know Mm -hmm. Uh, it was kind of making fun of that intellectual beatnik culture of the late 50s and early 60s. It was poking fun at that. Hmm. Um, but she also, there's a really famous sketch that they do where she plays a mom, and and Mike Nichols is like, you know, this world-renowned scientist, but he still feels guilty calling his mother. So they, Oh, my God. I think I just saw that. Yeah, let's, that. let's watch it. Hello. Hello, Arthur. 
This is your mother. Yeah. Do you remember me? <laughs> Mom, I was just going to call you. Is that a funny thing? Do you know that I had my hand Arthur, on the phone? You I were was... supposed to call me last <laughs> Friday. Mother, honey, I know. I just didn't have a second, and I could cut my Arthur, throat. I was. I sat I... by that phone <laughs> all day Friday. Uh, honey, I was working. And I just all day have... Friday night. Darling, I was in the lab. And, and all I... day Saturday. Mom, I, I and could... all day Sunday. Mom, And I... your father finally said to me, Phyllis, eat something, you'll faint. And I said, no, Harry, no. I don't want my mouth to be full when my son calls you. Mom. And you never called. Mother, I was sending up a rocket. I didn't have a second. Well, it's always something, isn't it? All right, honey, look. Please. You know, Arthur, no, look. I'm sure that all the other scientists there have mothers. And I'm sure that they all find time after their breakfast or before their count off yeah. to pick up a phone and call their mother. Honey, listen, now you have me on the and phone. And you know how I worry. Well, that's the point. I read in the paper that you're still losing them. Mother. Mother, I don't lose them. I nearly went out of my mind. Honey, listen, I want... I thought, what if they're taking it out of his pay? All right. Yeah, there's so many good sketches. Yeah. I mean, and I think what's interesting about her, too, is she isn't... She was beautiful, you know, mm -hmm. and she was super smart. Yeah. And she wasn't she was she just was those things yeah. which is a little different and and i wonder maybe because they were a comedy team mm. that she was able to get away with that um but mike nichols said like every everyone was in love with her you know everybody cuz yeah. she was like the smartest and the funniest and uh -huh. beautiful and uh -huh. and yet just wildly hilarious i mean so yeah. I, I think when I first discovered them, which was maybe, I, I didn't know about her until I was maybe in my late 20s, and I was just like blown away yeah. that they had been this comedy team, and I knew about him, but I'd never heard of her, mm. and was like, oh my God, she's just amazing, and clearly you know paved the path for a lot of improvisational sketch comedians mm -hmm. uh, to follow, which is like sort of how we started. You know, you think about Amy Poehler and Sarah Silverman and Tina, and I really feel like Elaine May is you know, at the the forefront of the mother they, of them. The mother of that, yeah. The, exactly. Their work. Yeah. yeah. And I mean she was the you know, in the original group that started Second City, which is where a lot you know Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. I I she is a huge hero of mine. And she went on to have, you know, a very successful career as a playwright and screenwriter. She directed a couple mm. films and that didn't go as well. She had a couple flops, and then mm. Warren Beatty gave her a chance, and they collaborated on Ishtar. So it was like, oh. she, yeah, she was kind of cursed in that department. Dang. Um Yeah. But, um, a lot of sand. But, yeah. But so she didn't have the prolific career after, you know, Nichols and May that Mike Nichols did. But, um, uh -huh. God, she was just brilliant. Yeah. And, so there's just so many gems, and now I want to buy their albums. I want to find their albums somehow. And I know, me too, to with them. Mom's Mabley too. I mean, yes, some of those yes, album yes. covers weren't they oh extraordinary? God. Like where she's yes. there's a young because the other thing was that Mom, the Mom's character was a cougar. Yes, that's right. Oh, we didn't even get to that part. How she mocked older men. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She hated old men. That was a huge well, part of her material. And she kind of flipped that like whole vaudevillian, like, take my wife, please. Yeah. And she turned it on the men, which was so great I know. And talk hilarious. about flipping the script. But there's that exactly. one um, album cover where there's a young man. I don't know who he is, um, but he's lying on the floor, and she has one foot on his chest and is holding grapes above him. <laughs> 
<laughs> Yay, mom. <laughs> I mean, I just think what's so great is to know that from this sort of like smaller pool of these mm-hmm. amazing women from the mm-hmm. past, like it, it just keeps getting wider, you know, mm-hmm. and there's more and more female comics coming up and breaking right. barriers and and it's starting to feel like that huge gap that mm-hmm. existed for so long is finally closing in. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe a little too slowly, but it's happening. Right. Uh, with women yeah. in comedy. I know. Kate McKinnon and Issa Rae. Yeah. So many I mean, good minds so are many good. getting to make their stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I love seeing Michaela Watkins, who went to BU with us. Like, she's so funny. And, oh, my God. Um, yeah, yeah. I think yeah, maybe... Yeah. Um, We'll I'll, I'll we'll put the funeral sketch in there too. Yeah. We'll, we'll leave oh, we'll leave everyone with the, the funeral <laughs> sketch. Welcome to Long Dust. Can I help you? Yes, I read your ad. I'm interested in the sixty-five dollar funeral. Was that for yourself? No. For another. Uh, may I ask, where did you catch that ad? TV Guide. Just trying to find out where our trade comes from. Um, I am afraid that I'm going to have to ask you some questions. Yes, that's all right. All right. Uh, Can you tell me what was the loved one's name? Seymour Maslow Freen. (laughs) Is that hyphenated? It was. <laughs> and the loved one's address? Uh, 44-11-18 Southeast Huguenot Walloon Drive. Uh, and may I ask what your name is? Charlie. Charlie. Charlie, I'm Miss Loomis, your grief lady. Hi. Is it Charlie Maslow Freen? Yes. You're related. Uh, well, that will be $65. Thank you. I have the check all made out. Oh, wonderful. Uh, um, before you go, Mr. Maslow Freen, I, I was just wondering, would you be interested in some extras for the loved one? What kind of extras? Well, how about a casket? <laughs> Isn't that included in the funeral? No. We have to have a casket. Yes, it looks better. How much? We have three prices. $1,243, $768, and $14.98. May I ask? What what do those prices represent? That's mahogany, oak, and nubby plywood. (laughs) Nubby plywood. Uh, Tell me, uh, what, what kind of an appearance does that make? Cheap. 
I'll take the oak. Oak? All right. Thank you very much. Oh, uh, I am so sorry to intrude this way on your grief. Uh, I just wondered, can you tell me, how had you planned on getting Mr. Maslow Freen down here? to give the driver an enormous tip. You don't, you don't happen to have a hearse, do you? Yes, we do. For $35, I can give you an exquisite Cadillac slumber wagon. All right, all right. $35. $35. Now, how about someone to drive it? That's not included? No, it isn't. All right, we have to have a driver. I can't drive it myself. No. Um. Is uh, that all? Uh, just, this is the last, and I am, I am once again truly sorry it is my job. Um, have you planned it all on burying Mr. Maslow? was foremost in my mind. Uh, I, do you have to have a plot? No, but I'm sure you do. Yes, uh, we do. We have three, three prices. prices. Yes. $824.46, $493.58, $10. and ten dollars. I'm just curious. What, what happens for ten dollars? For, uh... For ten dollars, we, we have two men who come and, uh, take Mr. Maslow Freen away and do God knows what. That's our show for today. Please join us next time to learn more about great women.